0: We'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 18, either in a Bible or on your electronic devices. It's a very short reading, which in most Bibles is entitled, The Greatest in the Kingdom of Heaven. The Greatest in the Kingdom of Heaven. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked... Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me
1: Good morning, Waypoint Church family, and my warmest greetings from South Africa. It's such a joy for me to share with you today, even though we can't be together in person. Um, I always consider it such a great privilege to speak at Waypoint to a group of people I still feel so much a part of, and, and despite the distance, you know, and knowing that we're part of this body of believers together is so special. For those of you who don't know me too well, I've been part of Waypoint actually for, for quite a few years, more than three decades actually, and um, despite living and serving abroad now, I do feel this deep and abiding connection to you all, and I trust that the message that God has laid on my heart this morning and um, would also be one that speaks to, to all of you. I've just arrived back from a month or so in Malawi, And next week, I'll be out in neighboring Eswatini. And I think that's such a picture of my life at this stage. Just so much travel throughout sub-Saharan Africa, serving in a ministry I passionately believe in and still feel so called to be part of. Um, back in 2009, while I was right here in South Africa, God spoke so clearly to me about picking up my cross and following him. And it brought me here to, to Southern Africa and to working with some of the world's poorest people in some of the world's poorest places. And when people ask me, so what is it that Hands at Work actually does? I think we just try to be Jesus to the hurting world that's around us. Um, we do that by intentionally targeting orphaned and vulnerable children who live in abject poverty. And our, our dream for them is that by raising up the entire village around them, that one day these children will become healthy adults and they would know the life in abundance that Christ offers to all of us. So that's why I'm not there with you in person today. Um, but thank you so much for allowing me these these few minutes to speak. So what a week it's been in the UK and around the world. And like most of you, I'm sure I was able to watch the funeral of Our Majesty the Queen and reflect on a life lived in service for others. It's incredible, isn't it? I think in this day and age, particularly when faithfulness is far less seen than it is celebrated, it was such a momentous occasion. And, you know, my mum was born on the 7th of February, 1952. Don't tell her that I told you that. Um, but that happened to be the day after King George VI died. And so of course, Elizabeth became Queen. And I look at my mum now, who's called Susan Elizabeth. And you know, she's in her 70s now. And I just think about that passage of time and that long steadfastness, you know, to serve the, for the Queen to serve her people through so much time and change and instability, and yet she remained focused and strong and resilient. And, you know, amongst other things, I think that's what people marveled at this week, that steadfast faithfulness. Eugene Peterson, who's the guy that wrote the message translation of the Bible, also wrote a book, an amazing book actually, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction*. You must read it if you haven't read but uh haven't read that book yet. You know, but I thought a lot about the title of that book this week and when I thought about the Queen. And, you know, of course I was wowed by the pomp and ceremony we saw this week. You know, it was quite extraordinary, really. Um that funeral had been prepared since the 1960s, rehearsed multiple times a year, you know, and it made me think about greatness, at least greatness known by the world. And I, you know, watched all the guests pouring into Westminster and and I realized that every single one of them had been handpicked by the Queen and many were extremely important people. And I thought, well, you've got to be great to have 2000 very great guests at your funeral. Um, It will go down in history for sure. So it's been obviously very interesting and really thought-provoking to have reflected on the passage for today that we've just heard read to us, because the passage is about greatness. And I'm sure you might join me in thinking maybe of the Queen or what we saw this week when you hear the word greatness. And of course, Jesus had a lot to say about greatness too. And, you know, as we so often see with Jesus, it was never about projecting himself, but it was about teaching his closest friends about the path to greatness. And I think like so many of Jesus's encounters with people, he had this pretty uncanny way of turning a situation completely on its head. And I find Jesus so disarming in that way. You know, he never seems to do or say what people expect him to. And, you know, I think about Jesus as a king arriving into town on a donkey. Um, That king who was born into instability. You know, he was born to a teenager. He was unwelcomed in this backwards town. He became a refugee in Africa. He even started his days with animals in a barn, you know. And then he went on to become unexpected as well in adulthood. He conversed with hated cultures. I remember the woman at the well. He chose really unlikely friends. You know, you only need to look at Peter and Matthew to see that. And ultimately, he willingly gave up his life by dying a sinner's death. Jesus was the epitome of the unexpected. And of course, in the passage we read today, here we see him at work again. Picture the scene. You know, his friends are busy having this discussion about greatness, the greatness at least known by the world. They were surrounded by Roman rule, and they actually would be very familiar with at least how the world viewed greatness. And actually, over in Luke's gospel, in the same story, we read that the disciples were actually having an argument about greatness. You can imagine it almost, can't you? I must be the greatest in God's kingdom. Did you see how many people I healed yesterday? No, it's me. I am Jesus's favourite. I'm part of his inner circle. I surely am one of the greatest in his kingdom. And what I love about Jesus here is the way that he shows himself to be a really great teacher. You know, he was that kind of teacher that explains things in such a clear way, but doesn't just use his words. You know, Jesus did that unexpected thing again, and he called this little child over to them. And I love that image. You know, some gospels even describe the way that Jesus would scoop up a child, you know, or he'd place a little child in the middle of the group. How disarming is that? I love how Jesus loved children. And I like to think that the fact that Jesus called over a little child to him, let's say a three-year-old, and that child actually came to Jesus. It makes me think that Jesus probably had a very special way with children. They were drawn to him. And three year olds aren't the most obliging of creatures. So you can imagine the scene. The disciples were totally silenced by Jesus and probably pretty dumbfounded by this example before them. And it both probably made sense to them. Jesus spoke in a way that You know, so he was so patient with his friends so that they would understand what he was saying. And yet I imagine that this scene was also pretty bizarre and confusing and maybe even pretty offending because children in those days were not like children today. They were seen of as very low importance to be seen, but definitely not heard. They had no social standing, not to be valued and in so many ways really to be used at the mercy of adults they were actually obligated to obey, to believe what they were told. So it's not quite the idyllic picture that that I was shown in Sunday school, with the little one on Jesus's knee and the disciples looking on admiringly. You know, I can imagine there was probably a lot of distaste, confusion, and we certainly hear indignance at other times when Jesus let the kids come to him, and he even chastised the disciples when they stopped little ones from clambering all over Jesus. Jesus loved children. And I think think that's a pretty sure thing. I think he loved what children represented, this totally upside down greatness that's seen in the kingdom. Jesus wanted his friends to know that the only path to greatness was choosing humility. The only way to be made great was to be made low. And the child in front of Jesus represented that so purely, So now for those that know me well, you'll also know that I love children very much. Um, In so many ways, I see the kindness of my father calling me into a ministry that involves children. Um, I've always loved them. I can't ever imagine not working alongside children in some capacity of my life, really. Um, I find children refreshingly, sometimes startlingly honest. It's like they literally have no filter. Um, They tell you exactly what they're thinking. Uh, what they're expecting, what they're hoping, what they're fearing, totally unguarded. And I love that children make no apology for being themselves. They're simplistic. They love those who love them. And they actually give their their affection away quite freely. Um, you know, when they're still small, they wholeheartedly rely on others. Totally dependent, totally entitled. They're honest about their needs they have a totally trusting obedience, I think you know where you're at with a child. And I think, I believe it was this kind of unguardedness, this pure dependence, this absolute faith, this refreshing honesty, this deep affection for the one who loves them, that Jesus loved. And he desires each one of us to become like that. You know, I think when we become adults, unfortunately, we lose a lot of that blind faith, that innocence, that total dependency on others. And I think we start to walk life with a sense of kind of self-assurance, more independence. We question what we believe. And I think there's a lot that would be that's very mature and, and very good about that but I actually think that Jesus was trying to show his friends that by rediscovering that total surrender and that dependence, that honest faith, that simplicity of a child, will we be able to enter God's kingdom. You know, I found the word in verse three, the word change, really challenging. The more I read the passage, the more it jumped out to me. And I realized that what Jesus was saying was that we need to take active steps towards this spiritual sort of childlikeness. You know, he says, unless you change and become like a child. And the actual word there, I can't pronounce it, so I won't. It's this Greek word, but it means conversion. You know, that word change actually translates to mean conversion. And, you know, quite literally that means to turn around or turn back. And Jesus was telling his friends to forget all the ways the world taught them about greatness and to turn from it 180 degrees and go back to being like a child. Unseen, lowly, simplistic, totally dependent how exposing that message must have been for the disciples. You have to actively be made less in the eyes of everyone, become obligated to obey and have no social standing. But actually, is it any less challenging for us today? Jesus says to us too: change, convert, actually become like a little child be prone to faith, be totally humble, be totally dependent. It's hard, isn't it? I think in a world that values greatness by what you do, even incredible service like we saw with Her Majesty the Queen, Jesus turns it upside down and he says, become like a child. And I think when we willingly choose to give up those claims to power and status and knowing that our total dependence is on our Father God, can then we know true true greatness. There's another passage in in the Gospel of Luke um, where the disciples are yet again discussing their greatness and it's it's so unbelievable when you look at the, the, um, the situation because unbelievably they're discussing this right after Jesus has told them about his death. And he's just shared the last supper with them. I mean, literally, he's broken the bread before them. And then it says an argument broke out about who was the greatest. And you'd think that in the company of Jesus, when he just poured out his heart to them and told them of the sacrifice he's about to make, that they would be slightly more sensitive. In essence, Jesus was showing them what ultimate greatness was that, and that was to become like a servant and, and totally in, in his case, quite literally lay his life down. And then they chose to go the way of the world and discuss what was seen to be best. And the passage says, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? A scripture that has resounded a lot in my heart this year actually is from Isaiah 57. And God says, I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with the one who's contrite and lowly in spirit. And I just thought so much about what that verse means that God lives in such a high, holy place, I cannot dwell there with him. And the only other place he dwells is with the contrite and lowly in spirit. And you see, when we become, when we learn to become lowly, can we truly serve like Jesus did? And serving from that place of lowliness, can we be able to co-reign with Jesus, but as servant kings? And I believe in his kingdom, there is no other way. You know, living and serving here in Africa, in some of the world's most broken, impoverished, war-torn, vulnerable places, reminds me that Jesus identifies in lowliness with the marginalized, with the powerless, with the needy. And he says that our response to people is in effect our response to him because he dwells right there with the broken and he's waiting for us to then take that same position of a servant and serve in love and care. That is true greatness. And of course, our beautiful Queen also loved and served Jesus. And I can't imagine actually living the kind of life that she lived without knowing Jesus, actually. I find The thing I think I find the most admirable about the Queen, other than the long years that she served on the throne, is her faith in Christ. And for what at least we can know, her understanding that after all, she was a servant. And I was looking up the other day that Queen Elizabeth once quoted her great-great-grandmother, who was Queen Victoria. And uh, Queen Victoria gave this speech. And I think Queen Elizabeth was echoing her words and sort of claiming them for herself as she reflected on her life lived lived with Jesus. It says, the, the Queen exclaimed, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. Why? asked the chaplain. The Queen replied with quivering lips, and her whole countenance lighted up by deep emotion. I should so love to lay my crown at his feet, she said. You know, the thing about greatness, and I think perhaps the most upside down of it all, is the fact that servanthood in its truest form is quiet, unassuming, and I think it's so often unseen, And it demands no payback, no press, no admiration. It's faithful, patient, enduring, humbling. It looks outward, not inward. It's unselfish. Doesn't that sound a lot like Paul's description of love as well, we read about in Corinthians? And as I end today, I want us to look at the very last line of scripture that we read. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I think the humbling thing about having children or working with children is that they can never really repay you for what you give them, not really. And I think that's the thing about true service. It's done with no expectation of repayment. And this is what Jesus taught us about true greatness it's found in service, becoming low, identifying with those who can't repay, the meek, the broken, the lowly. The lonely, the hurting, the needy. I think it's easy actually for us to serve people who reward us, you know, who make us feel good and even just appreciate us for serving. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think Jesus calls us to a deeper way. And he says, serve where there is no chance of repayment or even acknowledgement. Again, in Luke's gospel, Jesus spoke about throwing a banquet and about inviting the poor, crippled, lame, and blind because they can't repay the gift. Doesn't that have a lot to teach us? So, I am setting us homework today. I hope you're okay with that. Every good teacher should set homework. Are you up for the challenge? I hope so. Um, The thing about this particular homework, though, is that there is no way for me to mark it. So don't worry. Um, I actually am not even going to know if you've done it. That's actually the point. Your homework this week is in reflection of the message that we've heard today is to serve someone who cannot repay you for how you've served them. And that's not just about a wealth thing. That's not just someone not having the money to pay you back. You know, it's actually impossible to serve for someone to pay you back when they have no idea it was you who served them. Challenge yourself this week with that kind of service done oh so quietly, in secret. Tell no one, especially not the person that you're serving. Do it anonymously, quietly. Choose someone who really needs to be served this week. Someone who, for whatever reason, is marginalised right now. Lonely, hurting, discouraged, needy. Let's practice what it means to serve in the way that Jesus taught us. And you will be seen as great, but not in the world's eyes. They'll have no idea. But the king of kings will see you as great through your service. And imagine this world full of servant kings. What an amazing place that would be. Bless you all.
2: Wow, what a powerful message. I'm just going to invite the band up. Thank you, guys. Let's just uh, pray. Give us up some space as well to think about what Kat just said. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, the King of kings, but also the servant king. Lord, we want to have the same mindset as you, not that we think others are better than us, but actually we look at others being above us. We serve them. We want the mind of Christ, your mind, to infiltrate ours. We don't want just hands of praise on a Sunday. We want hands that serve on a Sunday. Hands that serve on a Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Hands that perhaps, as Kat just said, others won't ever see, but you do. We always look at the external, but you always look at the internal. Teach us the ways of humility. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the many, 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 many examples of what you are like, Jesus. We want to be a church that learns to live and love like you. So we continue to look to you. We continue to be challenged by your word, challenged by the words of Kat this morning. To become more like you. Forgive us for the times that perhaps greatness gets too attractive. Position and power and influence and money and people's opinions of us become our driving focus. Thank you for that reminder today that greatness is not how man sees us, it's how you see us, Lord. And you showed us what that looks like. Give us hearts to become like children again, fully dependent on you, fully committed, as we said earlier, to you. Having thirsty souls, Lord, that just want to be with you, want to learn from you, want to walk in the shoes, in your shoes, in your footsteps. May we be a church that is known for our love of you by our love for each other and for this community. for How we serve them, how we serve each other. May this place be a place that is just smells of humility, of servant-heartedness. Thank you, Lord. Continue to work in us, we pray. Holy Spirit, come and shape us, transform us to become more like you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.